It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is Donald J. Trump, President of the United States. Mark Thompson is a huge loser. He loses bigly. His show, very bad, weak, soft. But if you're interested in crap and you're a communist, you can go to edge-show.com. I don't recommend it. This is The Edge with Mark Thompson. Welcome to the show. You know, I saw a movie that I was really so impressed with. And the acting in that movie is part of what's so impressive. And the lead actress of that movie is here with us in this episode, Mary Kay Place. Now, you may know Mary Kay Place from her comedic work in Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, and then she details a few of the other comedic roles she's had through time. But this is a dramatic role she has, and there there's some lighter comedic moments, and there's a great cast, and the movie's called Diane. And we'll talk to Mary Kay Place about that movie. I also wanted to mention to you, I just started a daily radio show in San Francisco on KGO Radio, which is the big talk radio station in San Francisco's Bay Area. And I am kind of getting that all nailed down. It's really brand new. So, you know, there's a whole shakedown period, and you're getting used to people's patterns, and they're getting used to your patterns. I mention it because it's had a little bit of effect on getting the podcast out regularly, but I am committed to continuing the podcast and I am continuing to get some great guests. We have some terrific, controversial, interesting, glamorous guests in the pipeline. So I promise you that will not let up. One of the things that's been a challenge also is getting Michael Shore, who is our regular political analyst, into the mix. And you'll note that he's not in this episode. It's just becoming so hard to get Michael to participate. So I'm still working to chase Michael down. He's a friend for many years and he's a terrific political mind, but he's not in this episode. But our conversation with Mary Kay Place is juicy. I loved having her in, and I know you'll love her too. Let's get started! This is The Edge. The advantage, it means. Hey, look, I just spit on me for no reason. That's horrible! Is there some comfort in uncertainty, do you think? You're a degenerate. Because Australian Shepherds need action. Wow. Yeah. This is The Edge. That's a self-loathing term that I use. Oh, got it. Mary Kay Place joins us. You are terrific in this movie called Diane. We're going to get to it. But is it true, in reading materials, I saw that your first on-camera appearance was on the Tim Conway show? The Tim Conway Summer Comedy Hour. And it was on for 13 weeks. He had a joke that every show he did was on 13 weeks, and he had a car tag that said 13 weeks on it. And he, I met Tim, I was the receptionist on the third floor at CBS Television City. My first job was a clerk typist in music clearance. And then I moved up to the third floor receptionist. I looked up like my second hour on the job and the phones are ringing like crazy. And I look up and he's laughing at me. He's sitting there watching me and laughing at me. And he goes, I'm going to start a new show. Would you be my secretary? And I said, oh, I've never been a secretary before. You don't, He said, I've never had a secretary before. So I became his secretary when that show started. And it was 
crazy because, like I said, I'd never been a secretary before. But he was a mentor. He had the, these amazing comedy writers, and it was really an interesting show. And I had a part as an extra in an on-comedy, uh, you know, on-air sketch. But he is a great guy. So many will know your comedic chops, I feel, like through the, the Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. Right. And you also were quite a prolific writer. I mean, you wrote a lot of comedy. And, and did you write some drama as well? or Mostly comedy. I was the head writer's secretary again. <laughs> or They didn't call him assistants back then. On Maud, which was a Norman Lear show, it was his second spinoff from All in the Family. And I typed about 9 million drafts of their episodes and finally I started to get the whole layout and I was in all the note sessions with the director and the actors and Norman and the writers and I thought Mary Tyler Moore was one of my very favorite shows because she was a role model and um, I thought you know I have an idea of something that happened this young woman from was an intern and she started telling people things that she she had no boundaries about what she should say or not I said, I want to write a script. I wrote a spec script with Linda Bloodworth uh, based on this idea that happened at CBS. And we got an agent from the head writer on Maude. He read the script and called the next morning at 8 a.m. and said, I'd love to represent you. Wow. As Stu Robinson, he's passed away since then. But um, so we started, uh, we wrote for MASH and Lily Tomlin and... And we, for a period before Mary Hartman started, I was writing episodes, yeah, of sitcoms. And the Mary, Mary Hartman w ran for how long? I'm we sure. we did 360 episodes. We did 30 minutes a day, five days a week, which was crazy. Because it was a soap opera, was supposed to be a soap opera type show. And you show. can do it if you're doing a soap opera, but if you're doing comedy, uh, we were, it was a big... It was a lot of work. Everyone was spent at the end of that time. <laughs> it just feels like a real special time, though, in television and film. I mean, I just look at these people who you were cross-pollinating with. I mean, Norman Lear, you're, you know, as it turns out, your good friend and collaborator. Yes. Uh, and I think you're on an episode of MASH. I think of the great writers who contributed to that show. So I, I just feel as though what a creative incubator your life must have been during that time. It was an incredible time, especially if you were a young person from Oklahoma. And all the writers were mostly men from New York City. So they had these shows about young women and they didn't really know what their experience was. So it was a perfect time for a young female to have a chance to to add that voice of what it was like to be a young woman. And you were a country star on the show. You were a country music singer. Well, uh, I was not a star except in my own head. <laughs> Loretta Hackers wanted to be a country superstar, but she wasn't quite one yet. But she had this amazing husband that she called her baby boy, Charlie, who had, you know, 5,000 percent belief in her. And together they were quite a team, and their goal was to make her a superstar. Well, you really have an authentic country music thing. I mean, I, I you you've recorded country music, you've you've written a bunch of country music, performed a bunch of country music. This all comes out of those roots in Oklahoma. Yes, and in, my parents were Texans, and so we I had a set of grandparents in in West Texas and Port Arthur, Texas. And uh, there was a lot of country music played there. But our family liked country music, but we also liked, you know, jazz and, and rhythm and blues and different, a whole variety of kinds of music. But um, 
that opportunity with Columbia Records came from the Loretta character, but I had had other offers from other labels, but I was afraid they were going to be Laverne and Shirley seeing the 50s hits, which is not to disparage that, but I wanted to make a serious, real record if I was going to do it. Sure. And Amy Lou Harris and her uh, producer, Brian Ahern, came along with Emmy's band, which was Rodney Crowell and all these amazing musicians. So I thought, I have no business doing this, but when I'm in the rest home with my teeth and a glass by the bed, <laughs> I'm going to be mad at myself if I didn't just jump in and do the best I could. So I, I said yes. This film that is called Diane is a really terrific performance. And I'm not just saying that because you're here. I mean, I would talk about the movie in some generic way if I wasn't really sincere about this and I wouldn't, you know. You are throughout this entire film. In other words, we see your character going through a lot in this movie. She's just one of those people who's, you know, serving meals at a shelter one moment, bringing casserole to a friend another moment, dealing with a son who's got a substance abuse problem, but I mean a bad substance abuse problem, and he's being a jerk to her, and she's having to really be kind of a tough love person with him. I'm just trying to explain that Diane is at the center of the action. That's you. You have a lot on your shoulders. So as an actress, you are carrying this movie in large measure. I understand there are other people in it, but I guess what I'm getting at is, was that a lot of pressure? I mean, I know you're an enormously experienced actress, but I still think, gosh, that I might wither under that kind of pressure. I was nervous before I started, to be sure. I felt very connected to the script, and I felt I was capable of doing it. I was worried if I would have the stamina to sustain being in every single scene. And um, there were a lot of deep, complicated places I had to go, and I was worried about being able to prepare if there was time in between scenes to get into that new space for the next scene. But I found that once I was on a roll, there was a rhythm and a flow that continued throughout, and that it was really very helpful to just get to continue to be in the scene after the scene after the scene so it didn't break that flow. I was worried that people would get sick of Diane being in every scene and I thought well are they going to just go oh no here she is again and she's got another problem but um, it seems to have worked out so but I, I learned so much from doing this movie about life and about it was a journey for me personally as well as a journey for Diane. Now, what, what did you learn about life through doing the movie? Well, that death is a part of life and loss is a part of life and suffering is a part of life, but we have to transcend it. And without giving anything away, of course, we learn early on. I mean, here's Diane and she's surrounded by older people who are dealing with loss, right? And they're right. maybe dealing with themselves uh, losing their lives. I mean, at the end of their lives. Right. So you're kind of, you're saying that that, to really understand that and act it, you need to connect with it somehow? Face it, I think. Just the idea of it. I, I never thought about death for five seconds. I mean, I remember when my first death occurred, my father's father died when I was like in junior high school and that was the first time I'd had someone close to me die and it was traumatic but other than that I really hadn't thought about my death or other people and and so now my parents are both passed away my aunt and uncle have passed away both sets of grandparents uh and it just I looked at it in a different way and also I had four different shows where I was dying in it back to back and I thought whoa what is this about so I was began to use a metaphor about what part of me needs to die and whether 
in order for the new growth to come in or the new consciousness. So it became an interesting thing to look at as opposed to something depressing. The cast is really great. It's sort of like watching a great band play or something. I don't know. Everybody's really a skilled, and I'm talking about people who we'd recognize, right? Yes, Estelle Parsons, Deidre O'Connell, Andrea Martin, Phyllis Somerville, Joyce Van Patten, Glennis O'Connor, and the fabulous Jake Lacey, who plays my son. Yeah, when you walk into that one scene where everybody's in the house and, you know, they're all enjoying each other, all elderly people or older people, you know. It's remarkable. It's all those people you're talking about. That was one of my favorite scenes, just because I think we all relate to a big, you know, cousins, aunts, uncles. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That you don't maybe see that often, but then they come into town and everybody gets together or you visit them or whatever. And I think that's something universal that all people can relate to and sort of you instantly go, oh, I know this, what this feels like. Your character is going through so much of this movie. She's at the center of all of this, where all these things are happening around her. She's dealing with her son and she's dealing with these issues of loss with all of her her friends. But I thought I would be... Uh, I w- it was moving. The movie was moving, but it didn't. Um, I didn't leave melancholy, which I thought I would. I'm very happy to hear that. I've 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 heard other people express that, and that brings me great joy, because I think for some there is this feeling of connection to the elements, and and I I'm thrilled to hear that you were moved by it. And not brought down by, you know, depressed afterwards. But for some people, they do. I think it's kind of a Rorschach test about where someone is in their life, the way they look at life. Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman was done in Hollywood. Yes. So you were living in Southern California for a long time. I moved first from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh huh. In my Volkswagen VW Bug. (laughs) To be a secretary. Or to be no, anything. No, to be in the business, to be an actor, to be a writer, to explore all things. So, I had always acted, though, in, you know, in, in Tulsa, in school. So when you when you took the secretary job or the assistant job, it was a way in. Yes, I, I thought if I'm as long as I'm going to be at the bottom, I may as well be in the business that I want to work in, rather than be a waitress totally isolated from it. And uh, by the way, I would have been a horrible waitress. Uh, I thought I'll take any job, get my toe in the door, see the big picture, see how things work and figure out my path from there. Did this whole thing with Me Too, I mean, I feel like back then when you were having to dodge every Me Too moment, it had to be crazy. I mean, a woman coming up in Hollywood. It was a very different time. And that was, I, I, I defy anyone my age to say they never had an experience, but I certainly never felt uh attacked or that i was in danger or that um someone was forcing themselves upon me or that they were going to use any you know get have revenge if i didn't do it i i I never felt like i was in danger 
But things happened, and you had to stand up for yourself and say, "This is not, this is not going to be." Yeah, yeah. But that, but you know, I, it's not just show business. I think there's no business in the world. We've lived in a patriarchal culture for all these many years, and that's the way things have always been for every facet of working life in america or just you wouldn't even have to be working it could happen to a kid of course. anybody no i mean even our mythical waitress that you talk about she deals with it every day every sure. day yeah. every every woman has dealt with it her whole life but the party's over now <laughs> as it should be there somebody's gonna have a cell phone and you're there's gonna be a tape of it and you're gonna get caught <laughs> sir when you came out to Hollywood and things began to click for you and you got the first thing, the first job and the second job, how long before you really felt, well, I'm really hitting stride as a performer and a creative person? Well, as a performer, it took a while, but I had the most extraordinarily lucky things happen to me. when I Because here I was working from uh, at CBS in these uh, beginning jobs but I would have, I, I worked, when I worked for Norman Lear on, for the head writers, I wrote a song called If Communism Comes Knocking at Your Door, Don't Answer It, and taught it to my girlfriend, and we sang it in harmony. We'd had a glass of wine at lunch, <laughs> and we were singing, if communism comes a-knocking at your door, don't answer it, in, the, in harmony in the parking lot, and the head writers of All in the Family heard that. And they said, what are you singing? And then they said, sing that for Norman when we got back to the office. And I almost choked and I, I, I got real nervous. We sang it. Norman looked at us and said, how would you like to do that on All in the Family? Be in an episode of All in the Family. I mean, who? How? Yeah, that's like beyond. And that was the number one show on television. That was the number one show, and it was like the I couldn't believe my ears. What? (laughs) So that kind of extraordinary invitation, and then we wrote a spec script, and they said we want to represent you. I mean, but we were an oddity. Linda Bloodworth was my writing partner, and she was from Poplar Bluff, Missouri. I was from Tulsa, Oklahoma. These guys were all from New York City, and we were like exotic animals from the zoo. They just didn't know where the heck we were coming from. But apparently there's a charm to you that seemed to attract them. I I don't know what it was, but something was happening. (laughs) And then when I became Loretta, Norman wanted me to be the part of the sister of Louise. And I saw Loretta, and I said, this is this is my part. I love to write songs. I love this character. I know this character. And so that happened. And that was the thing that really put me. So I had, I wrote some mashes. I acted as a character in a mash that I wrote and learned that I had left out some connect the dots in the writing. So I learned about writing. And then I'd been on a Mary Tyler Moore episode with Penny Marshall as roommates that live next door to Mary in an apartment. But Mary Hartman is really what changed, to answer your question about an hour ago, what changed the score for me, what brought me into recognition. Were your folks or family over the moon to see you punch through? They couldn't believe it. Mm. They were like, what? I always thought you were Southern or something. I mean, I always thought that accent was real. And it was real in a way, wasn't it? Well, my I grew up with parents with very strong Texas accent. So my default is a Southern accent of one kind or another. There's an Oklahoma accent, which I've never understood. And I can't even do it. 
it's it's very specific, but I literally can't do it. But I, I definitely default to various versions of Texas accent. You know, in this movie, Diane, you're a New Englander, and there's snow. There's there was that- fear about that, by the way, oh, that but- I would, like, slip into some oh. southern thing. Yeah, I was worried if I'd pull that off, for sure. Well, it's totally believable. It's just weird how the weather and getting from here to there, like Mary Kay's character, Diane, has to drive from here to there. But instead of just showing her pulling up, you see a little bit of the drive and it reminds you of the weather and slugging through that winter is one more thing that she has to do. She has to deal with. She has to scrape that ice off the... It's a collective message that this character has has really got some weight on her life. I think Kent Jones, who's the writer-director, whose vision this is and who's he just did an amazing job with the script. He said, this is a place where you can't walk to a restaurant or to visit your friend like in New York down the block or two blocks away that you have to get in your car and drive from when. So there's, I remember uh, from a screening, one man said, uh, why are they always driving? Why are we always watching driving? Kind of irritated him a little bit. And I said, because it irritates her. She's back in the car. She's driving again to all these errands and doing all this stuff. And the monotony of it, the relentlessness of it is part of creating that mood. I loved it. It was great. In fact, the movie would have lost a step without it. It was really cool how that became part of it. And and not I'm just sitting and there. It, I'm a guy in the movie. Like I'm not analyzing the film or I'm not a director <laughs> and I'm just a guy watching a movie, you know what I mean? But I just thought, wow, I forgot. They really have to deal with a lot of bad stuff in New England with weather and schlepping from here to there. And also it sort of ties together the different little scenes. It's sort of a It's a transition cohesive element element yeah the scenes with your son who has got he's a he's an heroin addict. addict yeah heroin yeah. addict how do you get to that place it seems like such a i mean it's so much different kinds of acting going on or different kinds of emotional stretches might be a better way to mm-hmm. put it so how do you do that it seems as though so much is asked of someone like you in a movie like this well i i think that a lot of people have addiction in their families and may know of or have various members, whether it's cousins or nieces or nephews or grandfathers or people that have had addictions. Um, And so there is addiction in my family, nothing like this. So I related to it on that level. But also I feel that our whole culture is addicted and that we all have people like this. And that whether it's food or it's work or whatever it is, somebody has a touch of that experience. And I especially am moved by all the opioid addiction that's going on in our country now. And I, when I researched this movie, Kent Jones grew up in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, and this, but we shot in upstate Kingston, New York, and for Pittsfield. But in researching Pittsfield, I saw the GE plant was there, and for generations, families worked at the GE plant. But then when the Wall Street thing started, they polluted the river and a lot of people got cancer from the PBBs, PCBs or whatever they are they were using in their equipment. And then they just left the town. And so all these jobs that people had relied on for generation after generation were gone. And that has happened with the automobile plants and all across the country. And so therefore these kids don't have... The resource, they just, whatever it is, they don't have a place to work. And so there's this despair. And people say that is one of the side effects of 
of these, you know, having no jobs and that therefore being more vulnerable to addiction. Well, something happens. I don't want to give away anything, but something happens. And his uh, addiction and where he goes and how it's resolved is really interesting. And, um, <laughs> and, and it's like a double beat. It's not just one thing that happens. Like there's a double beat. So I really uh, enjoy that as well. Look, I really enjoyed the movie by now. You can tell I really like the movie. But it's really a thrill to have you in. So thank you so much, Mary Kay Plays, for thank being Thank you for being interested. The movie Diane, filled with all those brilliant performances, is in theaters now. And so cool to meet Mary Kay Place. There is a photo of Mary Kay Place and myself that I shall cherish as long as I draw breath. And you can find it on our website, edge-show.com. That's where you'll also find places to support the show. You can make a PayPal contribution. All the different ways you support the show. I thank you. I thank you every week because I truly am grateful. The podcast universe is so crowded. And when you guys take a second and you go to iTunes and you leave a five-star review, and just a couple of words like short but sweet, love the episode, or cool conversation, great variety of guests, whatever you say, it does help keep us alive in this, as I say, increasingly crowded universe of podcasts. If you're a new listener to the show, go back and check out episodes over the last few years. We've had great conversations and I think some really cool stuff in this show. I'm very proud of the homegrown quality of this show. Thanks again for listening. And until next time. Bye-bye. Get more of The Edge on Stitcher and iTunes, or go to our website, edge-show.com. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.